You know what that music means, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Slafter Podcast. That's right. That's a podcast about horror, comedy, and everything in between. I'm Prescott. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> hey, Josh. Uh, I feel like I have to compensate when the music's too loud in our headphones. I have to kind of just scream. scream at the mic. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? What's new with you? Good, good. Uh, not too much. Happy May Day. Yeah, happy May Day. Uh, we, I just spent the weekend at some hot springs, at Indian Hot Springs. Ooh, that's nice. In the mountains, it snowed, which is perfect for like a late spring oh, yeah. hot spring trip. Very late spring snow. We also <laughs> um, got a new package of bees in. Yeah, tell us about this. Uh, so they put them in this weird plastic uh, cage now. It's normally mm. like a wooden frame, mm-hmm. um, but you can just recycle it after you're done. Um, and as long as it doesn't snow again, hopefully in the next week or so, they should be good for the summer. Nice. What about a Brickton Bee update? No sign from the Brickton Bees, but I'm going to take off all the kind of surrounding like foam that I kind of sprayed into the cracks of the brick. Uh-huh. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what, lies, <laughs> what lies beneath. Man, tough break. Yeah, I'll be. Uh, I was. I was hoping to see if the bees were going to weather through the winter and then start making brick beehives. Yeah, no, that would have been epic. You could sell those bad boys. The three little pigs teach us anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, what's that ringing? <laughs> Looks like we've got a call coming in. I see it. Hey, Josh and Prescott, I have a recommendation for you guys. <clears throat> it's a little more <clears throat> art house than what you've covered so far. <clears throat> I mean, it's no hand job cabin, but I think you'll like it. It's called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, it's a Persian language film uh, shot on a pretty low budget, so I guess you'll like that. And it's, it was directed by a, um, a woman named Anna Lily Amirpour. Uh, I could tried to describe it but it's 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 really hard to describe it's in black and white it's um it's a love story it's kind of of a noir vibe and there's a vampire in it amirpour filmed it in la but it's supposed to take place in um i guess it a ghost town in iran but it's called the the town's name is bad city which is i think just a great named setting for a horror film so i hope you guys check it out i think you'll like it and i hope you review it and it's um i think it's available for streaming on netflix right now so what's better than that um thanks so much i love the podcast bye Ooh, i like that netflix streaming iranian vampires and bad city sounds good sounds really good i wouldn't say really because apparently there's no hand jobs in it, so <laughs> well, there's just at least no hand jobs and a cabin. That's true. Mm, I'm Together. intrigued. Yeah, so possibilities are <laughs> limitless minus that one <laughs> combo. <laughs> yeah. huh. I like that. Oh man, it looks like the uh, phones are lighting up again. The board's blowing up. Hi, um, I'm just calling to let you know that your number on your um, on your website is incorrect. Um, might want to change that. Okay, bye. Two callers in one week. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and with the wrong phone number listed. I was amazed she was able to reach us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll do a special segment later where we call the number that was listed. 
We'll recommend them a good movie or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have any news this week? I think so. This week's news. Um, so this week, I've got a, a little bit of news for you here, Josh. What's going on in the world? Well, this new film is coming out, mm-hmm. Awakening the Zodiac. Looking good. Is it about the Zodiac Killer? Oh, you know it. Um, it's coming out June 9th, 2017, starring Shane West, Leslie Bibb, and Matt Craven. And uh, the story follows a down-on-their-luck couple who discover a serial killer's film reels. They decide to take the law into their own hands, risking everything for the chance at that $100,000 reward. It isn't long until they find themselves in the killer's lethal crosshairs. Ooh, I like that. I like that take on the Zodiac Killer tales, of like after all the Zodiac killings. Yeah, going back into it rather than kind of re trying to retell. What oh happened. yeah. Uh, my personal theory on the Zodiac killing is that it was several mob hits lumped into several killings. Ooh, I think the mob used several killings going on at the time as cover for several hits that they wanted to do. Oh, I like that. Which makes it much more mysterious, which makes it harder to find the real person if you think that it's all one person. Mm. They never caught the dude. No. Oh. Is he still... Is Could he potentially still be alive? What year... Do you know off the top of your head what years we're talking? I think it's potentially that the person could still be alive... Um, and I think that that happens a lot when there is like a string of killings. People are always wondering, oh, is that like the, did the Zodiac killer get away? And is this them? Mm. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I'm excited for that movie. I um, also have a bit of movie news as what well. What you got? What you got? There's a new trailer for It Comes at Night, which is a horror movie that I'm very excited for, Ooh. which the premise is it's kind of a post-apocalyptic setting where a man and his wife are just trying to survive out in the woods there's some terrible disease out there. Ooh. Um, so there's reason to be suspect of anyone who comes oh, yeah. nearby in your path. Um, and that's kind of the basic starting point from the movie is out in the woods just trying to survive after the fall of civilization. Which, oh, I like that. Which I really like. Especially, uh, you know, the more that you entertain thoughts of what would I do come, you know, nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> you got you to gotta do some planning. Yeah. It's yeah. fun to think about those dark scenarios. Yeah, definitely even thinking about those bad boys. <laughs> Dude, that sounds good, though. Throw a little twist of horror in there. Yeah, I'm excited. And it um, looks like it's very much deep in the like woods far from civilization. So I'm excited to see how the movie pans out. Oh, yeah. You um, have a release date on that? Uh, it's going to come out here in the summer. It's scheduled for summer release. Um, it's, as well as it's... Uh, I think the second movie from this director, um, and I really like to see how many of how many directors start with horror movies. Kind of yeah. like we saw with James Gunn, who ended up doing Garden of, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. Um, Sam Raimi, of course. Yep. Um, they like a lot of big directors like to start with these little horror movies, and same thing with um, the director for the movie that we're going to uh, talk about today. Uh, the director Will Willard Carroll started pretty much with this movie in his career and started a production studio and helped uh, produce and direct a bunch of other movies Ooh, in his career. Nice. Man, 
Let's get to this week's beer so we can get to the film. Yeah. So let's go drink beer. Beer is good. Beer is good. Beer is good. And some beer is good. Beer is good. Beer is good. Let's go drink some beer. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> What'd you bring for us this week, Josh? Uh, this week's beer is Left Hand Brewing's uh, Milk Stout. Oh, yeah. Which I'm not a huge stout person normally, but uh-huh. the milk stout really makes it like smooth and creamy. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm sure this is a big deal there in the Northeast, but I am not a Guinness fan. Really? Yeah. not at all no i could talk about it more but i feel like you make a lot of enemies when you when you bash on guinness yeah we're trying to collect uh listeners here (laughs) really you don't i mean i'll i'll drink it because you'll drink it but i'm not yeah not a fan is it below like on josh's list of beers Mm -hmm. is it below like shitty party beers yeah yeah whoa Wait, 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 wait. You're saying, see, let's, let. I think this is what the listeners really want to hear about. Yeah. You're saying below, like, Natty Ice lives Guinness. Because I feel like you can find uses for Natty Ice. <laughs> okay. That, yeah. That's you fair. You could, like, mix that with, you know, orange juice, do, like, a brass monkey kind of thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You can, like, whip cans of them at other people. That's true. Guinness doesn't come in cans. And it well, I mean... <laughs> It, yeah, it, it does. But it's, it's got this like sewer water taste. That would be, be the. That's probably they they line the casks with uh, shells of mollusks. Oh, so maybe you have a refined palate. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes like seafood. Wait, so can you not drink Guinness then? I can. I didn't. Because you're allergic to bivalves. I am. I just learned that uh, recently. Hmm. Yeah, after my last beer, uh, mollusk. When you had that clam beer. Yeah. Uh, See, that's that's my other problem. It's the Northeastern beer in general. I'm going to make a lot more enemies now. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't care for it as much. Really? Yeah. I mean, I can agree. I mean, you, you're living in Boulder, Colorado. There's like... A lot, of, like I thought, there were a lot of great beers in New England, and there are, but there are even more great beers here. Like, there's a really wide range out People here. People spend a lot of a lot a lot of money around here. Yeah, yeah. No, so I could I could see coming from here. If you were coming from anywhere else, no, that's the thing is I still can't understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a Tecate is still is like better than a Guinness, right? Really? Don't you think? Or like a Modelo? Like a good Mexican log is still better than an, an Irish stout. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and now for our featured film. What do we got this week, Josh? This week's fe- featured film is The Rune Stone, which came out in 1991. It was written and directed by Will- Willard Carroll. I don't know why I have such a hard time with that. Starring Peter uh, Reichert, Joan Severance, William Hickley, Tim Ryan, Mitchell Lawrence, Lawrence Tierney, Chris Young, and Alexander Gudinov. Ooh. Yeah, this was a listener-recommended film. Yeah, and I don't think we would have ever come across it had a listener not recommended it to us. So thank you, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Ben. One of the many Bens who calls in. Um, it is not 
I don't think it has a slated DVD release yet, so it's only on VHS. But luckily, there's a somebody um, uploaded a copy onto YouTube if you're looking to see it for yourself. Nice, yeah. But I'd only really recommend searching <laughs> it out if you like. I don't even know how to categorize the kind of genre. It's very much a werewolf movie. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. Um, but without a lot of the other werewolf tropes that you have, so you don't have this kind of werewolf law yep. or rules that we that you that we had in like an American werewolf in London. Yeah, it follows these kind of separate Norse kind of ideas. So it kind of makes it like a monster movie with a giant werewolf. Yeah, man, kind of running around. So if you're a fan of werewolf movies, but you didn't like all the like dogma attached. And I don't even know how there's a lot of just the werewolf killing a bunch of people. Like if that's your favorite part of a werewolf movie, you like the werewolf scenes where he's just on a rampage. Yeah. There's like, I feel like a week of that. Yeah. <laughs> this werewolf yeah. Is going around killing people. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Definitely. No, there, there wasn't a transformation scene. I don't know. You know, there's not, um, which is very much a staple of those yeah. other werewolf movies. You yeah. Just kind of, uh, the guy just kind of becomes the werewolf all of a sudden. We, he pretty infrequently changes back. Um, Martin. Yeah, I also. In this movie. I have to admit, going in before we talk about this film, I got a skewed perspective because I was watching it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I was like an hour in, and YouTube told me I had an hour and a half left, and I was like, "How what? are they pacing this film? Like, <laughs> oh my god." <laughs> And then it ended up just having nothing. Like there was a blank hour attached to the YouTube video. Oh, strange. So I, in my mind, it was paced really poorly. But knowing that it was like an hour and a half long film, it was paced okay. Um, even I mean, then, it wasn't I was, great. But I was I was confused much of, much of this movie <laughs> on what's going on. Um, so a quick summary for uh, for those who haven't seen it, and I'll do my best to summarize as best as I understood the movie because I get. Like I said, the pacing made it very confusing who these characters were, what the relationships to each other were. Yeah. Um, but the basic premise is in a coal mine in Pennsylvania, um, a rune stone is found, left over from um, Norse travelers several mm-hmm. hundred years ago. Very cool premise. Very, and, and there are several rune stones that have been found in the U.S., very cool. Um, most notably the Kensington runestone. Oh, yeah. Um, but I believe, I, th- I think the general consensus is that was faked. What? But there are several others that people have found that mm. are supposed to be legitimate. Um, so they find this giant runestone. Um, and by them, I, I mean um, this man, Sam Stewart, and his wife, uh, Marla who on their way back from finding this runestone talk about how Marla used to date their mutual friend, Martin, but she doesn't have feelings for him anymore. And mm. it's two years ago and everything's fine. Um, Martin, I guess is also an archeologist mm, who's yeah. looking at a separate dig site. Um, so they end up taking this giant runestone to this very posh apartment in New York city. Yeah. Where they, you know, they, they use the one matte backdrop they have of New York. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Like every single, every single scene. Um, <clears throat> but the little bit of translation they're able to do on the runestone talks about, um, it's like it containing a beast and it mentions the word Fenrir several times. Mm-hmm. Martin, uh, who's warned that the, the runestone might lie to him and offer him power. 
goes to the runestone, um, ends up being transformed into this werewolf creature, mm-hmm. and proceeds to pretty much go on a murder spree, killing pretty much everyone. And several times he basically grabs his former lover, Marla, where we have this weird tension scene, pretty intense, almost rape scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, he ends up just kind of murdering a bunch of collateral people, mostly cops. Yeah. The director seemed very, very fond of killing cops in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the basic yeah, premise that's... as far as I under, I understood it is. It, it, and that seems like a basic premise for a lot of werewolf movies. Yeah. A little bit of that love interest. Something happens where they turn into a werewolf. Um, we end up uh, finding out through the efforts of Sam and his wife, Marla, they end up consulting several old, like, Norse mythology, like, historians, basically, mm-hmm. that they need to wait for Tyr to come back, who's a Norse god. To okay, come so back that's to that dude with all the clocks. Yeah, the clockmaker mm-hmm. ends up being Tyr. Um, Not to so, give it away. You won't. Yeah. It'll be a surprise either <laughs> He's way. He's the one Norwegian guy. <laughs> like, if you're waiting for Tyr... The giant Norwegian guy is your is your hint. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which I love because uh, I mean, Tyr, who's a Norse god of of battle, who's supposed to ha- be missing his right hand after uh, Fenrir, this giant wolf, eats it. Mm. Uh, every time you see him in the movie, he's just wearing this like black leather glove, like he's supposed yeah. to be kind of missing a hand, <laughs> but it's definitely just there with the black leather leather glove on. It's it's interesting. This film cut a lot of corners. But I feel like they got away with it. There was a certain charm most of the time. One place I feel like the charm was lacking mm-hmm. was the the actual Fenrir costume. Maybe just a little. It was it was an interesting choice because initially they seemed really they're real reluctant to show you the face. Yeah, of the monster. it was a cool build up. Yeah, and then it looks like I mean this is ninety one. It looks like. They contacted whatever studio made the Predator masks uh-huh. and asked for like a couple extra with some hair put on it. Yeah. Because, I mean, it it articulated a little bit. It was like a mouth inside of a mouth a uh-huh. little bit with this like extended jaw. But it looked it looked a lot like a Predator face, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I feel like just a little more money thrown towards that. Because the, the buildup was kind of artful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like... A little spooky in a cool, uh, rainy New York street monster walks by vibe. Finds you in a dark corner kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then we get to that, like I said, that killing spree part of the movie where he's just, it's just kind of like another scene after another scene where the werewolf's like constantly killing people, which is part of a werewolf, a lot of werewolf monster movies anyways, yeah, yeah. is all those murders. Um, but it se- really seems like they just wanted to milk it and then they, they, become completely unafraid of just showing the costume in its entirety (laughs) and clearly showing you that it's just a guy walking around in a costume. Yeah. Um, My number one thought that I can, that immediately pops into my head is where they're at that art show. Yeah. And (laughs) there's all these glass and exhibits and there's like a woman uh, ironing some, some laundry and then the werewolf breaks in. Everybody's watching because they think it's some Uh like avant-garde piece. Um, but it's just like a guy in a werewolf monster <laughs> costume, just like punching a lady. Like he, he really just like, like gives a haymaker to people a bunch in the movie. Yeah. It's very funny. But and I, you know, like I like the subject matter so much, 
that the movie didn't cross over into a hysterical flop. You no, know, it, it, yeah, I feel like it feels kind of balanced. Yeah, because they had, I, I think this movie is totally ready for a remake and I'd love to see it because I, I like the subject matter a lot. I think it's a cool, especially in 1991, it was like a cool think piece of like, the Vikings were here first. Yeah. Oh, but a curse. And they, you know, hid this, you know. Yeah, it's it's a nice it's a nice mix. I like, yeah, that the idea that the Vikings came over here to dump this runes down. Yeah. Because it was a curse that would turn people into Fenrir or they're trying to yeah. capture Fenrir. I never got the sense that Ragnarok was coming because Fenrir was unleashed. Uh-huh. Which I guess was the other danger in the movie, other than the fact that this werewolf man is going around killing people. Yeah. It was kind of this threat that Fenrir is awake and Ragnarok is the like Norse mythology like Armageddon. It's the end of a lot of gods, basically. Ooh. Humanity survives through Ragnarok, but pretty much all the gods die off. And Tyr and Odin actually both die to Fenrir, who's this giant wolf, who's one of Loki's children, who's this mischief god. Uh-huh. Wait, who's Loki's whose kid? Uh, Loki is the son of a, of a frost giantess. Uh. So he's like half god, half frost giant. Ooh. Um, classic. Yeah. And he, he, he gives birth to all the, like of the world's monsters. So like Jormungandr, who's this giant world serpent mm. is one of his children. Fenrir is another one of his children. All the giant like monsters are children mm. of Loki. Um, but the interesting thing about Fenrir, if we're going to go on a Norse mythology, yeah, yeah, yeah. was that he was raised by the gods initially as a young wolf pup. Odin decided to try to keep Fenrir. Hmm. As Fenrir got huge, the gods got afraid of Fenrir and tried to trick him so they could bind him up. Mm. As well as Odin saw, when he saw the end of the world, when he got all these visions um, about the end of the world happening, about his own death, he saw Fenrir eat him. So he knew that this wolf was going to be the one that was going to kill him eventually. So they end up tricking Fenrir by having Tyr, who he trusted, place his arm inside Fenrir's mouth um, while they put this giant harness on Fenrir that would bind him. Mm-hmm. In the end, the you know, Fenrir, they, they get him to do it by saying, oh, Fenrir, you can break out of this. You're so strong. Mm. Eventually he can't, and then he bites off Tyr's hand. Ooh. But anyways, Fenrir kills Odin and Tyr in Ragnarok, and one of Odin's children, uh, Vadir, ends up killing Fenrir. But pretty much all the Aesir, all the gods die in Ragnarok. But I really didn't get the sense that that was happening so much in the movie as much as there was just a werewolf going around killing people. But you got kind of an end time sense from the movie. Like it felt almost like like kind of Brazil or like that kind of like just that half step into the future where everything's so... I don't know, like so bourgeoisie or so yeah, like superficial. Focused, so superficial that it's like begging to be taken down. Like, yeah. I mean, we, we see the main characters constantly going to these art shows, which are like nothing but rich people drinking wine and cocktails and doing this like weird inane art and exhibits. The, the only complaint of the art is you can't purchase it mm-hmm. because they're like performance pieces. Yeah. And everyone's like upset, but you pay to be like part of it. 
But the very beginning where it's like all colored walls where people are paying to like smash them down. <laughs> yeah. It felt very much like trying to bring about the end of the world. Yeah. Kind of piece to it. Which, yeah, I just felt, yeah, like this film was, it was a little too scattered. And if it was organized, I like the end of the world coming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of like a a Ghostbusters-esque. Like, yeah, we got some ghosts, but the real problem is this. Yeah. But they didn't execute it as well as Ghostbusters. Would have been hard. Yeah. But um, I really liked the performance from a lot of the actors in this. It was interesting to see a lot of these people from an early 90s role. So Mm. like Peter Reichert, who played the detective, uh, Gregory Fanducci, (laughs) who's like the best New York City cop ever. Not only is he, you know. New York cop Italian who's like upset about the idea that Norse Vikings were here before an Italian yeah. was, which I thought was great. Um, he also survived so much in the movie and you don't, I, I didn't expect him to survive like several werewolf attacks, but yeah. he like <laughs> falls off a building and grabs onto a flag. At one point he jumps out a window and scales down the building. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's like, the one person that when you're faced with a werewolf, you do the right thing. My favorite scene with him is probably he walks out of the store uh, that's like downstairs mm-hmm. and he's like going up the stairs and he like locked it behind him. Or it was he was trying to go. He was trying to check it. And it was locked. And he walks back up the stairs and there the werewolf is. And yeah. he runs back down the stairs, takes his gun out, shoots the lock <laughs> off the door and just runs out the window. Like, it's like, <laughs> I'm so glad he just didn't stand there and die like everybody yeah. else does in the movie. And like some really nice overacting, like good yeah. shtick. And it's very much like Peter Reichardt, like he is an, like at his most Peter Reichardt. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, he's pretty much... I, I, I recognized him from, he's in The Mask. Whoa. He's, one of the, oh, he's that detective yeah. in The Mask. But he also plays Boone in Animal House. Whoa. Who's the guy who's like shoving the meat into the guy's like shirt when they're in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. And t- telling, <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> a lot of other people, it, you know, this is probably, this is one of the kind of like one and done of their career. We also had Lawrence Tierney who plays the chief mm-hmm. there. Who plays um, Joe in um, Reservoir Dogs? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And again, they have him just play like the character he is in Reservoir Dogs. He's just the surly chief. Yeah, yeah, kind of guy. Um, but I really like the guy they got to play the clockmaker, who's also we end up finding who's finding out who's Tyr, mm-hmm. um, who's um, Alexander Gudinov, who plays um, the yeah. Uh, tier of the clockmaker mm-hmm. but i didn't realize that um until i was looking him up alexander gudinov he actually defected from the ussr whoa in it he was part of a russian band uh dance ballet troupe the uh bolshoi dance troupe and defected to the u.s and it caused like a major international incident Whoa. Because he was like, I think in New York and would not go back with the dance troupe because he wanted to be here. And he was in Die Hard. He's also the Swedish guy in Die Hard. Nice. Um, so I, and <laughs> that's it was weird crazy. Because he's not a good actor. Yeah. I mean, that's clear if, if you'd seen Die Hard, but this movie <laughs> as well. So I wonder if part of his like defecting deal with the US was they're like, okay, we'll put you in a bunch of Hollywood movies. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, um, but if you need a tall Swedish-looking guy, yeah. he, he definitely fits the bill. Yeah, 
Man, so what did you what did you think about how they wrapped up this film? It was I thought it was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. I mean, it took a while to understand what was even kind of going on. Mm-hmm. The werewolf scenes, it was kind of fun, but they do so much of these werewolf killing scenes that you mm-hmm. almost I felt like I was starting to get tired of them. Mm-hmm. And they're all lit in that kind of like that giallo blue and red and heavy yep. green lighting kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you probably see like several hundred rounds shot into this werewolf creature. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I like the end, like Tyr coming back, this like young kid having to find this axe that he ends up giving to Tyr, which, and oh yeah, and I that's Tyr's traditional weapon is a, is an axe. Oh, they kind of just threw in an extra character in the third act of the... Yeah, I didn't really understand that Jacob character <laughs> <laughs> at all. Um, but I really liked I really liked a new take or a different take on the werewolf tale. And kind of like mm-hmm. we got into when we did American Werewolf in London, um, there's a lot of um, s- skin wearing or skin transformation mythology in Norse mythology that, you know... The wearing of the bear skin and becoming unstoppable, the berserker, the berserker. Mm-hmm. Um, we also talked about the like Ulfhildnar, the like one in wolf's skin. So this is very much part of Norse mythology mm. and werewolf. You know, transforming into bears and wolves is very much a part of their mythology. So it's cool to see something so focused on. Yeah, on the piece definitely. This week's show brought to you by. This week's episode brought to you by USSR Defectors. USSR Defectors, we got them here first. This week's episode of Slafter Podcast brought to you by Pez. Pez, the best fucking candy in the world. This week's episode of Slafter brought to you by Norse People. Norse People, we got them here first. This week's episode of Slafter Podcast brought to you by New York City. It's both different and not different from your old life. I don't know, Martha. These kind of questions make road trips awful. <laughs> a zing. This week's episode of Slafter Podcast brought to you by Alexander Gudenov. Alexander Gudenov. If you need a, need a Nordic guy, he's Gudenov. He's so horny. <laughs> All right. So I think for next week, we're going to... Uh, talk about Get Out, which is a 2017 American horror comedy film, which is written, produced, and directed by Jordan Peele. And kind of like we were talking about earlier, um, I think this is pretty early in uh, Jordan Peele's uh, movie work. So again, it's interesting to see all these directors start with horror and horror comedy movies and move out from there. Yeah, I'm really excited to go to the theater and see this one. It's been a while since there's a good horror comedy movie out too. And is oh, what's a someone Williams from Girls is the the female lead? Uh, If you say so, uh, (laughs) Allison Williams. All right, she's a good actress. That's what I got. (laughs) Um, So we've got a number of ways for you to reach out and touch us. Got that fine phone number, which is eight oh two. 441 fear. You sure that's right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've got that email address, slafterpodcast at gmail.com. Visit us at our website. Oh, yeah. Slafterpodcast.com. Very nice. It's been corrected. And, of course, we've got 
our fabulous Facebook page, um, Slafter colon a horror comedy podcast on Facebook. Ask to join. We'll let you in. Leave us an iTunes review. Please. Um, any of our contact, uh, feel free to recommend a movie for us. Please. And... Like we always say at the end of the Slafter podcast, it's always good to be on first name terms with evil. 